Welcome to another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity Leadership, where we talk to cybersecurity leaders who want to share their advice with the next generation looking to go into leadership. Today, we have Steve. I'll let him say his last name so I don't butcher it, but he is a lifetime practitioner and he's gotten to that stage where he wants to give back and share with those that are coming up behind the rungs. So Steve, why don't you share a little bit about yourself and we'll jump into the questions after that. Awesome. Chris, thank you for having me. My last name is Zalewski. So it looks harder than it is. And then Steve Z for everybody, just to make it simple. But excited to be here. A little bit about me. So I've been a practitioner for over 15 years in cybersecurity at some major Fortune 500s. Most recently was the CISO at Levi Strauss. We make jeans. I'm fortunate now because whenever I go to business meetings, I get to wear Levi's jeans because it's expected of me. So it was a nice Benny for that. Worked at PG&E, very large gas and electric utility here on the West Coast. Worked at Kaiser, which was a large HMO across the United States. Had the opportunity to learn a lot of the verticals. And the first half of my career, I built products. I was on the vendor side, building products as an architect and engineer with patents, and so my career has been varied. And so I was able to, at this point, been through all the different facets. And so now I have all of this experience that when I retired from Levi Strauss, I started S3 Consulting. It's just an advisory practice where I can spend my semi-retirements, so to speak, in being able to pay back and offer that experience to others in the community through all the different people in the security village. So Steve, as you think about your journey, what made you decide to transition between an individual contributor to becoming a cybersecurity leader? I will say in my career, I've swapped back and forth between individual contributor and then leader. And some of it has to do with me, which was, I want to understand a problem. I want to go figure it out. And then once I know what I want to do, then I need to lead a team to do it. And so as I was working through my careers in the different facets, that's what you would see me do. And I said, over time. So when I came into cybersecurity, first as a senior manager, and then I went into architecture roles and enterprise architecture, and then I went back into management. And then when I joined Levi's, same thing. I started as the chief security architect, went into the deputy CISO, then the CISO role, so that my skill sets as an individual contributor and a manager always stayed fresh, okay? And my goal was as a manager, I had the respect of the, okay? And as an, when I was an engineer, I understood the role of the managers. And so I was always doing it. But at that point in my career at Levi's, it was like, look, as an individual contributor, it's interesting to solve hard problems, but as management, especially for cybersecurity, Cybersecurity was the most challenging job I had in my career. And even to this day, I'm not giving up on it. It's the hardest thing to do. And it takes every skill that you have in order to be able to defend against the bad guy. Talking about those skills, what are some of those critical skills that you think are needed for leadership? In no particular order. And I, these are one of those you think about it. First and foremost, active listening. And you and I were talking about this. And since this is among security practitioners, what I said 
to you earlier and I'll say here, which was don't be an asshole. Okay. Listen more than you talk and actively listen because your ultimate responsibility to protect the company and protect the business is to understand the business and understand the people and get in their heads and see it from their perspective. Don't try to make them see your perspective. And I think that is something we have to be very aware of as security practitioners. It's not alone in security, but I think in security, there's clearly some past history where some of the prior leaders wanted to tell and not guide. So I say active listening and the role of that. I say empathy. People don't necessarily see security that we do. We see it as it's important and why wouldn't you want to do it? But the empathy is for many people in the business world, they're there to sell jeans or they're there to provide healthcare or they're there to deliver electricity. And they don't see security the way we do. So the empathy to understand what their jobs are and how they see that role, to make it relevant to what they do, don't make it an imposition on what they do. Another one in shifting for leadership is crisis management. And here's what I'll say. When you have the opportunity to run an incident response team in some capacity as a manager, director, or VP, whatever, okay, that's an eye-opening experience to be able to see what's happening and realize you have to make decisions in minutes and hours. And most executives make decisions in days, weeks, and so realize that what you do now <clears throat> in your executive role in cybersecurity is you're actually getting very good at crisis management. You're getting very good at looking at the data, realizing the timeline, and figuring out what the best is that you can do at this point in time, because you don't have the luxury of time. Well, when you get into crisis management with the executive team, again, you have to listen and be empathetic because you're very good at crisis management and they're not. And you don't want to lord it over them. You want to lead them through crisis management, realizing that they will respect you. And that's a skill that you have to offer them to earn your seat at the table. So I say crisis management, Realize that you're good at it. Realize it's a skill that you want to give others, but it's not about leading them. It's more about influencing. And then I'll say written and communication skills. I can't overestimate that enough. Your ability to tell a story, your ability to communicate that empathy with other people, whether it's an executive or it's somebody that works for you or it's somebody in the business or it's a vendor. You've got to be really good at that communication because if you want to be fluffy, if you don't, you know, what, what I say is talk less and say more. And that's a skill that you have to work on to be crisp and concise because as a security leader, that actually is one of your most important things is to be able to communicate to people clearly and concisely on value, which means you have to know it yourself, which leads to written. And what I say is, just like teachers say, if you're a teacher, if you write it down, it reinforces what you're doing, the message, the understanding. And so therefore, that written, the ability to tell a story with pictures, not just read text from a slide, the ability to understand how storytelling is done and the skill sets to do that are critical for you. Because again, your responsibility is leadership for your organization. It's the leadership for your company. 
but leadership for your company is influence. You've got to influence them to do the right thing because the right thing isn't necessarily what you want. It's one in the best interest of the executive team of the company. So how do you influence that the right direction? Those are the skill sets that I would suggest. A great list. And we'll touch on some of them coming up in a couple of minutes. But first, when you think about the competency of delegation, how would you personally rate your comfort level on a scale of one to five and why as a leader? With delegation, I would say early on in my career, I wasn't good at delegating. Classic mistake. Keep control because you think it's about control. As you move into management, you learn a little bit about delegation because you feel like you can tell people what to do and you delegate tasks, but they may not be valuable tasks. It's just, you can tell people what to do. And then I say, and then you realize from a leadership perspective, delegation is an empowerment on your team to make them better, not a management opportunity for you to shed work. And so I would say delegation for me is almost second nature. Because from a leadership perspective, what I use with delegation is explain why I'm delegating. And oftentimes I'm delegating more than they necessarily want because it's a growth opportunity. My responsibility to you is to let you make mistakes in a safe environment, to make you better, to allow me to do something else because you're going to take my job or up that chain. And so it's the opportunity to let people enter their uncomfortable zones, right? Discomfort zones, realizing that that's my responsibility for career growth or career advancement. And that sets from a leadership perspective for them and understanding that delegation is a good thing. Okay. And it may be uncomfortable, but you end up with much more highly empowered teams because you're setting the vision, you're delegating to their responsibility, you're understanding where their strengths and weaknesses are and are playing to both. So that's been my evolution of delegation. And it has something to do with what, what delegation is attempting to accomplish as you move from individual contributor to supervisor, to manager, to director, to VP, to senior leadership and board. And potentially another competency that goes along with delegation, collaboration. How would you rate your personal comfort level with collaboration on a scale of one to five and why? So here's what I would tell people. <clears throat> collaboration is a constant experiment. There's, there, and what I mean by that is as you learn how to be a leader, collaboration, you have different personalities that you put on for collaboration. Like if you're collaborating with a vendor or you're collaborating with a peer or you're collaborating with a mentor or you're collaborating with a board member, that's all collaboration. But your persona, right? The skill sets you use in doing that collaboration, how you communicate, the language that you speak, the objective, that's where when I tell people is practice on that. Realize that if you've only got one persona and one way to communicate, that is a limiting factor. And so I used to talk about practicing as I was going through my career, I would put different personas on as a supervisor or manager. And I would ask people if I'm directive versus collaborative, right? If I'm intuitive versus, what do you want to say? Blue people, data-driven, 
that there's different ways and you have to understand who you are because by testing those types of collaboration skills and collaboration types, it's allowing you to understand how you grow plus where are your strengths and weaknesses, right? And so sometimes I would be, it would be successful, sometimes not, but it taught me who I am and what I'm comfortable with a leadership style that I can communicate to others to find that middle ground. And that gets back to don't be an asshole. What you want to be able to do is you're going to have to adjust just like good leaders that are working with you. So you're finding that middle ground where you're trying to be as effective you can and the collaboration styles very different. And you touched on communication earlier, but what would you rate yourself on a scale of one to five with regards to communication and why is it important? So I will rate based on what people tell me. <clears throat> and what people say is, Steve, it's really easy to talk with you. You're easy to talk to and you communicate well, whatever communicate means, meaning my ability to use the empathy in the others so that I talk to you as a peer or the communication style that we have is one where it feels collaborative, that people want to have a conversation with me, not just to talk about the weather or kids, but the way that you communicate the ideas or the vision or the leadership or the management. And so what I would say is I generally get pretty positive feedback, but it's something I've always had to work at. Because as I work through the ranks as an architect, it's very easy to tell people what to do, thinking, just do it my way, because I'm an architect. So that's laws of physics. And you realize that as a really good architect, it's more about influence. You want people to see the value of what you do. You want them to align to what you do, but you got to give them some creative flexibility to do it their way. True for most people that they don't want to just be told what they want to do. They want to be part of the solution and your ability to communicate that your ability to open their eyes to bringing them down that path. But I would say for people on this call, think about the mentors that you've had. Think about the ones that are using the phraseology like I am to feel, make you feel motivated and engaged in learning that they're taking you on the journey of learning not telling you what to do. And I would say, so my collaboration skills over the years have gotten pretty good because I don't think I would be here having the conversation I'm having with executive leadership and boards and my peers and people that I'm mentoring without having realized that my communication skills are a strength, but it's one you always have to work on. You mentioned the competency of influence earlier. How would you describe that as a critical skill to leadership, to leaders coming up and why? Influence. I would say to people, for anybody that's married and has kids, okay, trying to tell your kids what to do as opposed to convincing them to make the right decisions. It's no different for work, okay? And I say, there are some kids that you can tell them the stove is hot 50 times, but eventually you're going to have, they're just going to have to touch the stove. And so I can tell you not to, or I can influence you realizing you're probably going to do it. But what I can try to do is make it as harmless as possible. <laughs> okay. That is a really good analogy for me, because when you talk to influence like lines of business, or you're influencing the executive team, and we're talking about security, for example, okay. What you're really saying is, look, there's risk associated with this. And 
you may want to touch the stove. You just, you're just bound and determined to do it. Well, my ability to influence here is to make it as painless as possible, not to make it painless and not to prevent you from doing it. And so that's where decision-making and leadership in a security perspective really is influence because it's almost an indirect decision. You're sitting with your leadership team, you're sitting with your CIO, and you're trying to put cybersecurity into the context of risk for them to understand whether they want to touch the stove or not, in spite of what you know. And so you're making an indirect influential decision many times. Now you talk to your, not just your leadership team, but talk to your architects, talk to your security engineers, right? What you're trying to do is herd the cats on one hand, but not let them hurt themselves really on the other. And at what point, right, do you smack a hand if they go near the stove versus coach them? That's going to hurt when you do it, but that's something you want to do. And so do I get it over with earlier or do I get it over late? It's not a perfect analogy, but I find that to be a very effective way of getting people to understand why influence is the most important skill over leadership, especially for cyber, is being able to understand that, coach it, and realize they ultimately own the decision, but you still have to be there to back them up even if the decision isn't the one that you think is optimal. And another concept that gets brought up a lot when it comes to growing your skills as a leader is the concept of networking. Why would networking with people be such a critical skill for cybersecurity leaders? A lot of engineers are introverts, just are, right? A lot of people are introverts. Communication skills is difficult. From a management perspective, they teach you communication skills is mandatory because you're managing people. And so therefore, if you can't communicate, it's kind of hard to manage. When you get to leadership, that's where we say communication from a leadership perspective, you have to be able to get better at communicating. And that doesn't mean just talking at people or talking to people. It's talking with people. I was an introvert, still am. It takes a lot out of me when I communicate heavily, even like this, but it's a learned skill. Now I say, let's talk about this communication skill in the security perspective, okay? which was, why is it so critical? 10 years ago, I used to have a pretty good idea of what the security community was, who the key players were, who the key vendors were, what my architecture is going to be, what my roadmap is going to be. Today, there are over 3,000 vendors trying to sell me security products. That's not the managed service providers, that's not the resellers, that's not the channels, that's not the consultants, that's not the analysts, okay? I no longer am able to understand all the technology, all the fields, all the acronyms that are out there. So communication now is a survival skill. For me to be able to work with my peers or work with the VCs or work with others, to be able to understand how do I do my job where I'm having to trust a lot of other people in making my decisions. Now communication is critical because talk to it now as this is a security village. Okay? We have a shared responsibility to protect the child, which is the business against a common enemy, which is all of our attackers. 
and all of us are village members. Well, right now we're not doing so good as villagers supporting each other to protect the child. We're competing with each other. Every vendor does everything for everybody, right? VCs are investing in lots of overlapping companies. Gartner analysts are introducing new terms all the time to try to find room for more companies. So communication for me like here is let's look and talk to each other and understand by communicating what our shared responsibility is. How do we fit into the village? What is my, okay, am I the auto mechanic? Do I deliver the gas, right? Do I build houses where we have to be better at communicating what we do for the village and what we don't do and start to understand that as long as we continue to not communicate and stay in our own areas, we're doing a disservice. So these are why I say communication is really critical. Communication styles are critical, but you have to communicate now because days of being, having the luxury of being able to just pull the tent over your head or whatever, and just live in your own environment. It's just not practical because the security community, the security field is so big and there's so much money and there's so much change going on that it's just gotten bigger than any one person. So you've got to communicate. And wrapping up, any final advice that you would share for future cybersecurity leaders? Yes. Thought about this a bit. Here are a couple things I would say. And again, in no particular order, but as I was thinking through one, learning the business is now just as important as learning the nuts and bolts of security, just as important. Because again, communication, influence, leadership, your job now is to try to protect. And what is your role as a security leader in protecting? It's changed in the last 10 years, it continues. And that means you better know the. I used to tell people when I joined Levi Strauss, the first year I came in thinking, okay, I'm going to put a security architecture together, do a roadmap. I spent the first year just understanding how retail works, how high fashion women selling jeans to women works, what it was that I was trying to protect. There were days I came home and I would talk to my wife or my daughter and I'm like, I learned something about how women think today. Is that real? Because I'm having to put a bubble around the creative process, not change the creative process. That's an example of why I say, so the better you know the business is the better you understand what the control friction is you're introducing in the business and is it worth it? Because it's a balance now, right? We're not here to secure the company. We're here to protect the business. And that balance is a transition we all have to make. So know the business. Second thing I say is know how to speak the language of business as fluently as you speak the language of security. As good as you can talk about identity and access management and MFA and XDR and SASE and you pick all the acronyms we do, endpoint protection, malware, phishing, okay, vishing, that's great. But when you go to the business and you use those terms, you've lost them. They don't care about security. I used to tell everybody, even now I say, what's the number one metric that everybody cares about regardless that will catch their attention? And people are like, how many attacks I stopped or how much money I saved? The answer is no. The answer is, how is this going to maximize my bonus? Okay. If this is going to give me more money, that's the motivator. So how does security sell more jeans used to be my question? Know the business. So these are examples of why 
I say it, but this is how it's impactful then. Because now I'm going to go to the business and go, look, if you're willing to do this from a security perspective, okay, if I'm going to do MFA for these cases, because we are seeing these types of attacks, it's costing this much money that's impacting our bottom line of which we get 15% bonus off a of bottom line, all of a sudden it became very, okay? So that's speak the business. Risk management is the emerging currency of the cyber leader. So make sure you're able to communicate risk in both business and technical terms, depending upon your audience. And here's what I mean by that. If you report to a CIO, how does the executive team manage a CIO? CIO is a cost center. They deliver business applications and business processes to the business to make money. That's efficiency, okay? Take 3% away every year, drive more efficiency out of the CIO organization because that's how they measure success. You report to the CIO, you as a CISO have to have technical measurement. So you got to be able to look at the technical tools. Here's my controls. Here's my measurement. Here's how I'm being efficient. Does the business care about that? No. The business cares about how am I being attacked? How am I losing money? So the conversation now is how effective am I as a CISO at protecting the key business processes in the company? Well, what are the key business processes? Is it my e-commerce site? Is my retail supply chain? Okay. Is it my third-party sassy infrastructure? What is it? So you get better at being able to have these different conversations because you have different stakeholders and they measure you differently. And that's why it's a risk conversation now, because I'm really having so much money and so much responsibility. What risks can I manage and how do I have that conversation? And so therefore, that's why I say no business, no technical. It is the conversation of the future. Are you here to secure the company? Are you here to protect the business? Are you here to make money, sell more jeans? That's a rough three ways of you've got to look at the world and understand how to communicate. And then finally, realize it can be a thankless job and more thankless than not of late with all that's going on. So really evaluate your personal success criteria and make sure that the job and your expectations of the job are aligned because the CISO role is changing. The CISO responsibilities are changing. And so it's not like being a CPA where you can be certified for CPA. Everybody knows what they do. It's well-defined. You know how to measure. In the security field, there's a lots of evolution here you're seeing. So therefore, you've got to walk into this eyes open and realize that 24 months from now, you may have very different expectations on the company or the company on you. So it can be personally rewarding. You are protecting companies, okay? But you have to understand you can be a firefighter and a shepherd at the same time. So really go in eyes open, really understand what it is that you want to do. Talk to a lot of people, talk to the senior CISOs as you're now working through that first and second generation of CISO because you're going to have a very different job than I did. That's what I have to offer. Steve Z, thank you so much for all those interesting insights. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity Leadership. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, everyone.